Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Amen. So we're going to open up our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Amen. God is doing a good work. Can you say amen? We are amazed always at what God is doing in our midst. 1 Kings chapter 19, an amazing story in the Word of God that we're going to read in just a moment. How many here have ever seen or, uh, or read the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A few people here. A famous uh, story written by C.S. Lewis, a fantasy story intended to bring attention uh, to the kingdom of God. And in The Chronicles of Narnia, there is a Christ figure represented by a great lion. The name of that lion in the books is called Aslan. And in the book, uh, one of the books, uh, called Prince Caspian, the children have gone for a long period of time without seeing Aslan, without seeing the one who's in charge. And in that time, they've grown older, and they begin to desire, once again, to see Aslan, the king. The youngest child, whose name is Lucy, finally sees Aslan after searching for him after a long, long time. And when they first meet each other again, this is the conversation that takes place in the book. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger than I remember you. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. What an incredible, incredible statement from the mind of C.S. Lewis. And it gives us the reflection of the heart of a Christian, of a true follower of Jesus. That if we are truly seeking him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our soul and all of our strength as he intended, as God intended for his followers to do, then what we will discover is that we are not searching for Jesus in a cul-de-sac. We're not at a dead-end road. Can you say amen? But the more that you serve him and the more that your life, that you begin to learn and grow in his word. Here's what I can tell you this morning. 
The longer that you serve Jesus, the more amazing he will become. And when we meet with him from time to time, he will blow us away further and further than we ever thought possible. The problem is, for many Christians, it is the opposite. And because uh, we are not searching for him with all of our hearts, because we are not doing all that he has asked us to do, then what happens is Jesus begins to diminish in our eyes. His influence, his importance. And when Jesus diminishes in our lives, then guess what else happens? The world gets more appealing. The world and the ways of the world and the things of the world begin to be more interesting than the things of God. And so I want to examine with you this story in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's a message I've titled, When God Calls. 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse 19. So he departed from there. This is speaking about Elijah, the prophet. Now, uh, just to give you a heads up, there are two men in this story, two important characters, Elijah with a J and Elisha with an S-H. Very similar names, but I'll try to, uh, to pronounce them with a difference so that you know who's who. So Elijah here is the old prophet. He is the one who has had experience with God. His time has come, and he's about to pass his mantle of ministry onto a younger man named Elisha. This is how the scripture says it, 19. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. Then he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Verse 21, So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for every individual person here today. I'm praying, God, for the spirit of obedience and surrender, God, to flood this service today, that our hearts would yearn to know you, God, and to follow you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in this place. I pray, God, for your spirit to move even through this message. We give you glory, all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the call of God. Because many times, the way that God interacts with us is via an invitation. Have you ever received an invitation? Have you ever received, an, uh, my little daughter Addie just got an invitation this morning to a birthday party. And what a fun thing it is to receive an invitation. That means somebody has thought about you. They're planning some kind of celebration. And someone has thought of you by name, scribbled your name onto an envelope, and and, uh, put inside of it an invitation with a date and a time and a place that has already been prepared. And what is left in that invitation is a decision. Every invitation demands a decision. Are you with me so far today? When God deals with you, he does not twist your arm, does he? He doesn't force you. He doesn't put his boot in your face. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't 
and pull the strings like a puppeteer. But what does God do? The Bible describes it as an invitation. In the same way in the book of Revelation where Jesus says, I knock on the door of your heart. Jesus is not one who kicks the door down. He is not one who throws in a smoke bomb and a flash bomb and comes in guns blazing saying, surrender now. No, Jesus simply knocks on the door of your heart. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sins. That when we commit sin and when we do what we know is wrong, then the Holy Spirit begins to just kind of pester you a little bit. You ever had that little thought of, oh, I should actually not be doing that. We get that little sense of guilt and shame. You know, God could really, he could really strangle us with guilt if he wanted to. But he doesn't do that. He simply invites us. He calls us into his kingdom. And this is what we see in our scripture. We see an invitation to do something for God. In our scripture, it says that Elijah, we know, uh, if you know the backstory here, that, that Elijah, his time of being a prophet has now come to an end. It is time for another person to rise up in his place and become the prophet. God has spoken to Elijah and said to him, uh, we're going to find a replacement for you, Elijah. And so, what is so amazing to me in this scripture is that Elijah didn't send a letter first to Elisha. He didn't let him know that he was coming. Hey, by the way, God told me to come to your house, and in a few weeks' time, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to give you the mantle so that you can be the prophet. There's no preparation involved. There's no advanced knowledge. All we read in the scripture, the very first time we meet this man, Elisha, is right here, that when Elijah departs from where he was, he found the man Elisha, and we find him in the midst of his business. We could say that Elisha was a very successful businessman. Well, how can we say that? Well, because of the description that we get of him, it said that he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, if you know anything about oxen, in the ancient world, these were very valuable animals. These are like, these are like John Deere tractors in the old world. And not all, he didn't just have one of them. He had, I don't have enough fingers to show you. He had 12 yoke of oxen. That means each yoke had two oxen, 24 oxen. The dude was rolling. He was very successful as a farmer. There were very few people in the ancient world that would have had the kind of resources that Elisha had. And here we find him busy at work. He's not doing evil. He's not out in the world uh, as a pimp hiring off prostitutes. He's not dealing drugs. He's being a very successful and, uh, uh, and, and very productive member of society, isn't he? He's doing a good thing for the world, for his family. He's providing. He's uh, doing great things. And yet one day, there he is working hard. And Elijah comes along. It says, then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So the first thing I want you to notice about the call of God is that it is unexpected. Everybody say unexpected. <laughs> it's unexpected. Usually when God wants to do something in your life, 
it's not something that you expected. It's not something that you already had planned or thought out. Usually, God will approach you with a plan, with a purpose, with a call that is unexpected. Can I tell you the number one reason why there is an exodus from the church of Jesus Christ in our culture today? Do you know why it is that young people are not following in the footsteps of their parents in the faith in most churches? Do you know why that is? Because they're bored. The church has become a boring place for young people. And I ask you, why is that? Why do you think the church has become so boring? I believe that the number one reason is because many church kids find things more interesting out in the world. And why do, why do they do that? Most of the time it's because deep down, parents are also bored in church. Kids come and watch their parents falling asleep in the pews, more excited to get out of the service, eat lunch, and watch football. And what somehow we have done is we've taken American Christianity and we have created something that is boring, dull, lifeless, monotonous, stale, and tame. Sleeping in sounds more exciting than worshiping the creator of the universe. Mowing the lawn somehow is more interesting than making a sacrifice. Picking up an extra time and a half shift is more important than an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder why another generation finds more interest in the world? Somehow Xbox PlayStation has more intrigue than the internal word of God. I wonder if we could count the number of people binging on Netflix at this moment. And we could compare it to the number of people in churches. I would probably say Netflix wins, unfortunately. Fortnite and Battle Royale keep the multitudes anesthetized from their conviction and absent from the assembly of the saints. And I wonder even today, uh, people could even be in the house of God and yet still, as the preacher preaches, finding more interest in things of the world than in the things of the Lord. This is a great problem in the kingdom because we have made our priority out of the incorrect things. So I want to show you from the scripture that here's this man, Elisha, who represents to us the next generation of the believer, right? Elijah is the previous generation. He's now passing on the mantle of his ministry to the next person. And let me just throw in here for free. If we're going to have another generation of the Potter's House Christian Church in Virginia Beach, we're going to need another generation of disciples. We're going to need another generation of somebody to take up the mantle. We're going to need another generation of preachers and outreachers and givers. We're going to need another generation. I thank God for all of you who have come before and labored years and sacrificed and toiled and sweat and outreached and passed out flyers. What a wonderful thing that we've come to this point today. And it's because of all of your labors. But our labors will be in vain this morning unless there is another generation that we can pass the mantle to. 
that we can continue to be a, a, a witness and a light and the salt to this community, to our city. And that is the Elisha generation that's coming behind us. We're going to need at some point to pass the mantle on to an Elisha. An Elisha who already has a plan in motion, right? An Elisha who has a pretty good life ahead of him. He's got 12 yoke of oxen. He's a successful businessman. He's got plenty of things going for him. And as much as, you know, we complain about a snowflake millennial generation and we make fun of them and we, you know, all that kind of stuff. We make jokes. Can I tell you something? Those are our future. And they do have some good things about them, the millennial generation. One of the things that I've noticed is that they desire truth. Millennial generation has an innate desire to separate fantasy from fiction. Let's just be real. Let's just dispel with all of the the, the formalities. That is a good thing. Let's be real. Let's talk truth. Let's not just hide behind our titles. But I first want to show you that this calling from God is an unexpected call. Let's think about Elisha for a moment. He had no plan on that day to follow Elijah. He had no idea that there was in his future uh, a mantle that was going to be passed to him. My question is this. If you were that Elisha on that day, if that was you with the 12 yoke of oxen, if that was you with a, with a team of John Deere tractors, you say, I got, a, I got a pretty good gig here, right? Would you be willing to give all of that up to follow the Lord, to follow his calling for your life? This reminds me of Jesus when he first began to choose his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. It says, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. They cast nets into the sea. They catch fish. They were probably pretty good at it. They they were a team. They were brothers. They would go out, catch the fish, bring it back, sell the fish, make a living for their homes and their wives and their families. But Jesus came and he said this to them. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Do you see the call of God is in the form of an invitation? Jesus did not come to them with a whip in hand. He did not come with a pair of handcuffs. You're going to come with me. All he said was, come with, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And here is a line that ought to reverberate in your soul this morning. It said that immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Do you suppose this morning that Simon and Andrew that morning, they had any idea Jesus was on his way? I don't think so. It was an unexpected, unplanned call from the master of the universe. So often it is we find ourselves sitting in a church service just like this. And we hear a whisper in our ears, in our spirits, and it says, come and follow me. So, oh, me, aren't you talking to that guy? That girl over there? No. We hear the calling of God. He has a purpose for every one of us. 
as I preached a couple weeks ago, God intends to give us all a gift, a purpose for his kingdom to do something for him. But many times the calling of God is unexpected and comes when we're not planning for it to come. I can tell you that in my own life, I never planned to be a pastor. I never planned to be a missionary. I never had that plan. I never, uh, that was not in my radar. It was something for other people. Yeah, it's okay. I want to believe in Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. Okay, I got that. Good. I just want to go to church on Sunday, and I want to do something that interests me. And right there is most of the world, right? Most, most of the uh, American Christianity is right there. I'll just see you next Sunday. Just stay out of my business. But God came into my life with an unexpected call. It was an invitation. And I simply opened up that invitation said, no, no. You got the wrong guy. This isn't me. Let me pass this to somebody else who's more qualified, better prepared. But then I realized it had my name on it. Could it be this morning that God is coming into your life with an unexpected call? Secondly, let's see that the, God, the calling of God is powerful. It is powerful. This morning, we have to examine what it meant when Elijah came by and he passed his mantle. So in those times, let me explain what the mantle is. The mantle was a piece of clothing that the prophet would wear. It was, uh, it was a sign. It was a symbol. It was a signature uh, piece of clothing that he would wear to indicate that he carried the role of the prophet of Israel. What is a prophet, you say? Well, it's when you make money. No, I'm just kidding. A prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, is a, a person who is supposed to take the message from God and give it to its intended recipient. Uh, Throughout the ancient Israel, we have the role of prophet being fulfilled by many people. Elijah is perhaps one of the greatest prophets we have a record of. He is the same one who uh, declared that there would be a famine in the land, there would be a drought, and it came to pass. From the moment he spoke it, the rains stopped coming for three years, we know, as a punishment against Israel. And then the Bible said that when Elijah prophesied that the, that, uh, that the drought ended and the rains came, but only after it was spoken by the prophet Elijah. He's the one on the top of Mount Carmel that he prepared to sacrifice, and he called down fire from heaven. You read that story just a few chapters before. And he called down fire from heaven in judgment of all of those pagan worshipers of other gods. It was an incredible, incredible thing that he did. One thing that we read, is that he got discouraged. You ever been discouraged? The prophet Elijah got discouraged. He didn't respond well to God. And God said, okay, Elijah, it's time to pass the mantle. I will show you the one to whom you will pass your ministry on to. And this is where we pick up in our story. Elijah had this garment that he would wear. It was something like a a scarf that he would wear over his shoulders. And as he sees this young man, Elisha, plowing the fields with his 12 yoke of oxen, God speaks to Elijah and says, here, this is the one I was going to tell you about. And it's so funny to me that there's no conversation here. 
He didn't come up to him and say, hello, uh, are you Elisha? Yes. Uh, yeah, my name is Elijah. You, you've probably heard of me, right? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to let you know that, you know, I've been discouraged for a while. Uh, my time with God is now finished, and so um, this is my garment, uh, the mantle, and I'm passing it on to you. There's no, there's no conversation here. Did you read the scripture how it goes? It says, it says that Elijah passed by him <laughs> and threw his mantle on him, and then he left. <laughs> it's like all of this responsibility, all of this calling, all of this heavy call of God, it's, it's not this majestic moment where everybody in the community comes and lays their hands on him. No, it's just like Elijah just like tosses it. Okay, have fun with that. It'd be like if I walked up to you and just just give it a try. It's this incredible responsibility and weight. It is a powerful call. The problem with most of us is we don't realize how important this calling is. As I said, we begin to excuse ourselves from the call of God. We excuse ourselves because we're busy with the world. We're busy with uh, things that take our interest. And so what we have to do is we have to lie to ourselves and say, well, the call of God, his purpose for my life, that's really not that big of a deal. Compared to the other things in my life, yeah, I know, I'm not going to become an atheist and curse God to his face. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, become some fanatic Bible thumper or something swinging from chandeliers either. We got to, you know, we got to keep things in perspective. See, Elisha here, he had that temptation. <clears throat> he could have said, oh, okay, you know, I could do both here. I, I could be a prophet. And I could also keep my yoke of oxen. I could keep the income flowing. You know, we, we could make that happen, right? Wrong. The call of God is an exclusive call. And here's where some decisions have to be made in our lives. I want to remind you this morning that the call of God is an exclusive call. If we are going to respond to the invitation... There's going to be a few things that we cannot do. Can I remind you about that this morning? Here's the invitation that my daughter got. Jaylee, drag you in. I don't want to invite the whole church to this event. <laughs> but it says you're invited. January 25th at 7 p.m. at a certain place. RSVP via telephone, 757-266. I'm not going to give the rest. But do you know, if, if we attend this event, it means that Tuesday night or the 25th at 7 p.m., there's something else that I'm not going to be able to do at the, on that night. This is going to demand our time and attention. And we're going to have to make a decision as a family, is this something that we want our children to go to? Rather than going out to a ball game or rather than going out to eat together as a family. It's an exclusive call, isn't it? 
If we respond to this invitation, it means that there are some things that we're not going to be able to do. I remember so clearly. It was a Thursday night of a conference in Chandler, Arizona. If you ever come to Chandler with me, I could point you to the spot on the carpet where my face was planted, where God spoke to me, and he said, I want you to go into ministry. And it was so surprising to me. It was so unexpected. And I remember after that service, uh, Tay and I were, I think we were engaged at that time to be married. And I can remember going to Chili's. You've been to Chili's, right? We went to Chili's afterward. You remember that? (laughs) It was such an important event. And we sat down at Chili's over some salsa and tortilla chips. And I was mortified in my mind from the service that we were just in, thinking to myself all that this meant, thinking to myself, I've got all these plans and things that I want to do with my life, and now, God, you've sent this invitation. And here we are eating our chips and salsa. And we had a conversation. I remember it so clearly. It must have been not that important because she doesn't remember. <laughs> but we, I remember saying to her, do you understand what this means for our future? It means that there's a lot of things we're not going to be able to do. It means that I'm going to have a pastor's salary for the rest of my life, which isn't great. It means that, you know, there's some things that I'm not going to be able to do. And yet we came to an agreement over those chips and salsa. Said if it's God's will, then we can't run from it. It was a calling. Now, I'm not saying this morning that every person here is called to be a pastor, but what I'm saying is that God has a calling for your life. And there is an invitation. And that invitation, when you open it, it's an exclusive invitation. It means that there are a few things you're going to have to say no to. There's some lifestyles you're going to have to say no to. In our scripture, Elisha understands He's going to have to say no to a few things. Elijah, as he passed on this mantle, it says these incredible words. He ran after Elijah, and he said, Please let me kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow you. Elijah, Elisha, rather, he understands how important this calling is. And he understands that if he's going to go follow Elijah into his destiny, that this is going to be an all-encompassing decision. And because he understands that, he says, I need to say goodbye. In those days, the calling to become a prophet, when you're leaving town, there's a possibility you might never come back home. He understands the importance of it. In a moment, he understands that there's going to be some things he has to walk away from. And he says, Elijah, please just give me a few hours so I can say goodbye to my family. Now, I want you to see what he does next. 1 Kings 19, verse 21. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, and using the oxen's equipment, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Can you imagine Elisha? He has spent his entire early life building up This ability to create wealth, right? We could say this is his college education. He has spent time and energy and money 
to come to this point where he is now a fruitful and productive person. He is a successful business owner. And now what does he do? He takes the oxen, his John Deere tractors, and he takes their equipment. And he uses it to make a fire. He kills his oxen, slaughters them. Can I tell you, there's no coming back after you slaughter your oxen. There's, this is a one-way road here. There's no uh, putting the oxen's equipment back together after he has put them in the fire. This is a final decision for him. He's saying, my life is now going to be different because I'm following the prophet into the destiny that God has for me. That's incredible. It's the same as when Jesus called his disciples and he said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says that in that moment, Simon and Andrew, they left their nets. To a fisherman, there's nothing more important than your net. They would spend days and hours mending their nets after a day's catch, making sure that those nets were carefully uh, maintained so that they'd be able to catch things well. In that moment, it says that they left their nets on the beach to follow Jesus. This is what we've got to learn, church, is that if we're going to follow Jesus and if we're going to follow him well, something's got to be left behind. Some dream, some goal, some purpose. If you serve God without giving anything up, then you're probably not serving God. You're probably serving yourself. There is that old story of the conquistador, Cortez. And the story goes that when he came to the New World from Spain, traveling, exploring, he came with a convoy of ships. And when they landed in the New World, he had a crew of, of men with him, and their calling was to establish a new colony in the New World. When they arrived, they found hardship. They found difficulty. They found a, a completely virgin soil. They had to work everything from scratch. And there was a group of his followers that came and said, Conquistador, we should go back. It's too hard here. It's too difficult. There's a lot of problems. We're, our, our plants, our crops aren't working well. Maybe we should just go home. The next morning, Cortez woke up early. And the story goes that he took a match and burned the ships. Those men woke up the next morning, finding the remains of the ships that had sailed them to the New World in rubble. And what Cortez was saying, he's saying, we are here now. There's no escaping. There's no going back. This is our calling. This is what we were sent to do. And now we're going to do it. And that was a great gift that he gave to his followers. Because all of a sudden, now they had no option left except to do what they had been sent to do. I believe there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Jesus followers. There's a lot of people in church this morning. Yes, you, in your mind, you say, I know God. Want, there's a calling. God wants me to do something with my life. But you've also still got your ships, just in case. There's still the possibility. There's still the option to go back to the world if in case this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out. This morning, what we've got to do is burn the ships. 
What we've got to do is abandon the thing that we think is best for ourselves and follow Jesus. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man. But what does that way lead to? Say it out loud. Destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. Destruction. I want to close with one last thought. The one who calls. My prayer this morning is that you would see Jesus in a new way. In our scripture, the prophet Elijah is not the one who is calling the prophet Elisha. The calling has come from God himself, right? Elijah is just the conduit through which it comes. My prayer this morning is that you would leave this service today remembering Jesus in a new way. Thinking of him in a new way. There is that scripture where Jesus is transfigured before him. It says that they went up the mountain. He took his three closest disciples, uh, Peter, John, and James. And the Bible says as he was there in prayer that he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured in the original Greek is a word that you know. It's the word metamorphosis. He was metamorphosized in their eyes in that moment on that mountain. His image, his body changed in a moment. It says that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Can I tell you that they had never seen Jesus like that before? They had seen him the way that we all see each other, just a regular person, right? But in that moment, in that instance, they saw Jesus in his true form. Did you ever read in Revelation? where it says that one day in heaven, in the new earth, the new heavens, that there was no need for the sun there because God shined in all of his glory. Can I challenge you? If you took a step outside this morning and you tried to look at the sun, what would happen to you? It would hurt. You wouldn't be able to do it, would you? You could maybe open your eye for like one second, but then it would hurt your eyes so much that you'd have to turn away quickly. And compared to the light of the sun, the glory of God is more intense, more powerful than that. The glory that Jesus had, he had to keep hidden while he was on earth. And for a moment, on the top of the mountain, these disciples saw him as he changed, he transformed, he was metamorphosized. He turned into the person that he really was. For a moment, the shroud of human flesh was peeled away. And they saw him as he really was, in power, in glory, so bright that they couldn't even look at him. Can you see Jesus that way? Because I tell you, if you could see Jesus that way, there is no calling that's beyond our preferences. So many times we come to Jesus and we say, okay, God, you know, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do as long as it doesn't interfere with fill in the blank. As long as it doesn't cramp my style. As long as it doesn't make me unpopular. As long as it doesn't affect my bottom line. I'll serve you, Jesus. People who serve God in that way have never understood who he really is. The scripture tells us who he is. 1 Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or power, 
listen to this, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. You know who you're dealing with this morning? You're not dealing with me, Pastor Adam. You're not going to stand before me at the end of your life. You're going to stand before a holy God. And he's going he's to remind you. Do you remember when I sent you that invitation? Do you remember that I had a call on your life? Do you remember? And you, how did you respond? Did you take care of that invitation? Did you appreciate that invitation? Or do we dismiss the invitation? Elisha, in our scripture, made the powerful decision that I hope all of you will make this morning. He received the invitation. He received the mantle of ministry. He said, okay, Elijah, I understand what this means. I'm going to put the past behind me, or as Pumbaa would say, put the past in your behind, and I'm going to follow the will of God for my life. And do you know the end of the story for the prophet Elisha? When he took upon himself this mantle, when he responded to the invitation, the record that the Bible shows us is that he did exactly double the amount of miracles that Elijah did. He had a twofold ministry. Everything that Elijah did that's wonderful, but when Elisha responded to the call, he took that ministry, he took that mantle, and God was able to use him to do even greater things. Can I tell you that's our prayer this morning? Our prayer is that, you know, there's so much that God has allowed me to do in my ministry. I'm so grateful for the opportunity for the nations that I've been able to preach in for the souls who've been saved under my ministry. But I'm praying this morning that there's somebody in this service today who can go to even more nations, who can pray for even more people, who can see those sick people being healed far greater than I've ever seen. My prayer this morning is that you would receive this invitation, you would open it up by faith, and that you would respond today. Is there anyone here? You hear the knock. You've read the invitation. Now it's time to respond. Let's bow our heads this morning. Close our eyes. As we think about the things that God is doing in our lives today. What a wonderful opportunity we have to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In many ways. The day and the hour in which we live today is the greatest time in history that has ever been known to man. We have tools, we have technology available to us that pales in comparison to anything that any other generation has had. In the United States of America today, if you are living in poverty, if you are living below the poverty line, then you are still richer 
than half of the world. Can you imagine? We have resources in our hands. We have, uh, we have opportunity in our hands, at our disposal. And what do we do with that money? What do we do with that wealth? What, we, what will we do with that opportunity? So many of us, we waste it on foolish things. Or we waste it on selfish things that really don't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. And so the call this morning, my prayer, is that you would respond to the invitation. In the same way this morning, there is an invitation that Jesus gives to every person here, every person of the world. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of salvation. We know that in our sin, we have all fallen short of God's glory. That Jesus, that uh, that his expectation for us is to live righteous and holy and to follow his commandments, but there's nobody who is able to do that. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all disappointed our God by disobeying his commandments. We're sinners in this place, and what we need more than anything else is we need to be saved. We need our sins to be forgiven. That is the gospel. God doesn't want to punish you in your sins. But he will if you don't repent. To repent means to turn away from your sins, to decide that they are hurting you. This morning, will you respond to this invitation to be saved? God sends an invitation to every man to be saved, to be set free. But not all are saved. Not all are set free. Because only those who respond to this invitation experience the power of salvation. Maybe you're here today and you, in your heart you know that what I'm saying is true. You know that your sins are separating you from God. But you also believe that there is a God in heaven who did something to save you. Who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you could be saved. And maybe you're here today, you want to respond to that invitation. I wonder, would you be so brave, would you be so bold to humble yourself? Say, yes, that's what I need. With an uplifted hand this morning, you'd say, please pray for me. I need what you're talking about. Somebody here, is there anyone at all? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand and say, please pray for me. I need the salvation that you're talking about. Is there anyone? Quickly, I want to respond to the invitation that has been sent by the Almighty. The blood that was shed was shed for you, but you must receive it by faith. Is there anyone? Quickly, you'd slip up your hand and say, please pray for me, Pastor. I'm not living for God. I'm not right but I want to be before I leave this place. Can I pray for you today? Anyone at all? Quickly, maybe backslidden in your heart. You know what it means to live for God, but you have fallen back into the world, the ways of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You're seeking your own will instead of seeking the will of God. I wonder, would you be so bold to say, yes, please remember me in prayer. I need salvation today. Quickly, anyone at all? Quickly. As God speaks to you, thank you for your attention today. I want to open up this altar. It's a simple message today. It's the call of God. God will give to you an unexpected call, one that you never saw coming. Young people in this place, is God calling your life? Is he calling you to be much, even more than a, a church chair surfer? 
Is He calling you to be more than just an attender of church services? Is He calling you to do something more, something greater, to step into an arena of ministry, to become an evangelist, to become a preacher, to become a missionary, to become a worker, a church pillar, whatever it is, God has a calling on your life today. Will you respond to it? Will you open this invitation? That's the call today. If God's dealing with you, God's speaking to you, you want to come to this altar today and, Lord, help me. Give me, give me the strength to respond to this invitation. Let's all stand to our feet in this place. We're going to take a few moments right here at the altar as we allow God to speak to us in this place. Let's pray. Let's come and do some business with the Lord today. Fix my eyes on you. One thing I see. I may dwell in your house. Oh, Lord, we thank you this morning for the call of God. Oh, I praise you, Lord. Days of my life, I want to gaze upon your beauty. Seek you in this holy place. Fix my eyes, Lord, that you would speak to every heart this morning. Speak to every soul in this place. We cry out to you, Jesus. You move upon hearts, God. You put a calling upon our lives, oh God. I fix my eyes on you. Lay my burdens down. Letting the cares. Oh, let's all sing it together in this place. Oh, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. There's one thing I ask, one thing I seek. I may dwell in your house, O Lord, my King. All the days of my life, I want to gaze upon your beauty. Lord, to seek you. One more time, there's one thing I ask this morning. Let's sing one thing. One thing I ask and one thing I seek. That I may dwell in your house, O Lord, my King. Yes, all the days of my life, the days of my life, I want to gaze upon your beauty, Lord, to seek you. Let's give him praise this morning. Hallelujah, Father. Let's give him praise right now, Lord. I often think about how many job offers I've had. I've had job offers in the past. They say, oh, it's a good salary. Uh, only thing is you're going to have to work weekends. It's like, well, I'm a pastor. I can't do that. How many jobs that I could have done for my own business, uh, but I'm not available Sundays. I often wonder, you know, I try not to think about it too much. 
how much money I've lost out on, how much earthly wealth. That's probably, probably a big figure. I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. Great is the reward in heaven. Because I'm not working for earthly treasures. I'm working for a heavenly one. I want to encourage you today. When we seek God first, when we seek his kingdom first, all these things will be added to you, Jesus said. All these houses and cars and the earthly wealth and the earthly treasure. Hey, all of that's fading away anyways, right? You get to the end of of your life, you're going to leave this earth the same way you came. With nothing. But in heaven, in heaven, we are living for a heavenly kingdom. I want to pray for you quickly. My prayer is that God would be able to get a hold of somebody here. Have you ever have you ever had somebody who never answers their phone? You try to call them, and they never answer the phone. I hate leaving voicemails. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to get a hold of you again, but you didn't pick up. Call me back. Could it be that God is dialing your number this morning? Will you pick up the phone? Will you speak to him? Will you respond to him? Let's pray together. Let's lift up our hands. Let's say, God in heaven, thank you for the salvation that you provided to me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that he is a good Savior, willing to do all, to give all, to surrender all, even his very life, so that I could be saved. Don't let me be so prideful to hold back from you after you've given everything for me. My life is yours bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And I will answer this call. I will respond to your invitation. Give me your grace and your mercy and your strength to do all that you've called me to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him praise right now. Father, we thank you. Yes, amen. Uh, we thank you for being here. We appreciate uh, your attendance. And we want to remind you that tonight uh, we're back in the house of God for 5.30 prayer meeting. We also have a 6.30 uh, service. We'll be showing one of the conference video sermons tonight. So come back ready to hear that. It's going to be a great time. Amen. Uh, and that is all we have. We can be dismissed in prayer this morning. Uh, we're going to believe God together. Brother Andre, would you please close us out in prayer? Hey, we got a birthday in the house. Miss Teresa, she's 29 again. Happy birthday to
Miss Teresa, can I embarrass you for just a second? I just want to say thank you for your years of faithfulness. You are such a blessing to this congregation, you and your family. We appreciate you very much.